I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Des Bishop Podcast. Beautiful Friday morning here, West Hampton, Long Island, 1030 a.m. I'm on the couch next to Becky, the foster dog who is uh, asleep, well, half asleep, a beautiful shiny coat. She goes back to the shelter today. Not a guarantee that she'll get a forever home, but a lot of uh, a lot of people coming over the weekend to have a look at her, so the shelter asked if I could please return her. It is their dog. The only way to not return her is... Uh, to adopt her, which, you know, I just, it's just not possible for me to do, sadly. So, um, she's gonna maybe get a forever home this weekend. If she doesn't, I'll be picking her up on Sunday and, uh, taking her back into her very loving foster home. If she does get a forever home, I'll, I'll get another, uh, another foster dog. And, um, I have to say, I, I've enjoyed fostering. It will kill me to give her back, though, I have to say. But at the same time, I know perhaps it can be perceived as cold by somebody. But, it, I, I mean, in a way, it's it's really the opposite because, you know, these dogs end up in a better position to be adopted by being fostered. So I enjoy the temporary company. The dog absolutely has a better situation than sitting in the shelter waiting to be adopted. And uh, it's really a good outcome for everybody, other than the heartache of uh, having to let her go because she's such a good dog. I mean, I was very lucky to get such a good dog, um, but uh, I look forward to whipping another good dog into shape because I have to say her coat looks amazing. I mean, she really is. She really did well here, and I'm, I'm not giving myself credit that. It's just we were a good pair, me and Becky. So um, anyway, we'll see what happens this weekend. Um, in other news, uh, it's just me today, by the way. Um, in other news, there's a, you know, there's a vaccine. I've been following this Oxford vaccine. And, you know, I, I don't think the Oxford vaccine is going to work. Uh, like, as in, like, I have no idea it's going to work. It's just such an interesting story because it kind of came out of nowhere. And even when, you know, we were talking to Joanne, I don't know if I was talking to Joanne on the phone or talking to Joanne on the podcast, but she was just like, you know, how is this like, little mini Oxford study going to be the one and all these massive companies. But actually I read, I read, uh, yesterday, I think it was that, uh, the university of Oxford has partnered with pharmaceutical giant AstraZeneca for the development, manufacture and large scale distribution of the COVID-19 vaccine candidate that is currently being trialed in the UK. Um, I mean, so that takes away the lack of faith that you would have that they would be able to manufacture it if it turns out to work. Um, it's definitely a risk to launch into development of this vaccine, but now is the time to take those risks. This is a terrible crisis we're facing, and we need solutions, according to the chief executive of AstraZeneca. 
So, I mean, this would be fucking huge. Uh, they say the company would know relatively soon if the vaccine will work. They know by, by June or July, we'll already have a pretty good idea of the direction of travel in terms of its potential efficacy. Gee whiz. I mean, this would be, this would be pretty fucking, this would be big, man. The Oxford vaccine is one of the most advanced in the world. So there's no guarantee it's going to work, but... According to this article, it's the best chance of a breakthrough. Jesus Christ almighty. Can you imagine if this vaccine turns out to work? Now, guys, again, we have no idea. My guess is as good as yours, as good as Trump's guess about hydroxychloroquine could turn out to be completely wrong. But my God. You know, I remember when I was younger, because I'm old enough to remember the, the, the dark, dark days of the AIDS epidemic. You know, I was young, but I I was I remember the beginning of AIDS, and I remember the the fear. I I I remember actually Bill Hicks had a routine about like it's over, you know, and fucking everybody be fucking banging each other. You know, it was all this. There was all this talk about what would happen when AIDS was eradicated. Everyone would just be banging each other, completely forgetting about chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis. But um, of course, we never really had that moment in that. The, the fight against HIV has just been a slow, steady progress. And, you know, now with PrEP, I guess it's sort of almost in a way, uh, well, it should, it should be uh, really dropping, but in actual fact, HIV transmission is up in Ireland, according to um, somebody we were chatting to recently on The Shift. So there hasn't been a, well, I, I think there's been a free-for-all with the fucking which unfortunately has led to a rise in HIV transmission. But needless to say, fear around HIV transmission is a lot lower, partially because even if you get it, it's uh, it's it's really just a lot of medication you got to take, but you can live a healthy life. Anyway, I'm certainly not an expert on that. All I was trying to get to was that we used to joke a lot back in the day about what would happen if there was no more AIDS and we'd all fucking bang each other. But what if we got a vaccine to corona? It's 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 hard to it's hard to imagine, um, it's hard to imagine uh, the excitement of how we would all celebrate it by just going back and doing normal everyday shit. You know, that's so weird. You know, with AIDS, it was like we're all gonna fuck each other, man. Yeah, we're all gonna fucking. I swear to God, we're all just gonna be on the street. Everyone's just gonna be fucking everybody. Yeah, let's fuck. Of course, which isn't the case. Uh, but in the case of Corona, it's like yeah, man, I'm, I'm gonna fucking. I swear to God, I'm just going to go and have a coffee and I'm, I'm going to sit next to a stranger and I'm going to fucking cough right in front of them. Yeah, fuck yeah, man, the vibe is, I'm fucking the, it's gone, man. I'm just going to hug strangers. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine how excited we're getting about normal life, you know? I'm just going to queue up like right behind somebody, you know? I'm just going to, yeah, I'm just going to like have somebody else in my car. Oh my God, I can't wait. Oh my God, I can't wait. I'm like not going to wash my hands for like 45 minutes. Oh my God, I can't fucking wait, man. But I really can't wait. That's the truth, you know? I really can't fucking wait. Just to go back to the simplicity of normal life. How long will it be before we we lose the novelty factor of normality being back and get complacent again? I can't fucking wait to be in traffic, man. I can't fucking wait for traffic, man. I can't wait for a delayed flight. You know, the first delayed flight that I have in my life, I'm going to be like, fuck this bullshit. 
It's not going to last. It's not going to last at all. You know? Um, God, it would be so great. Oh, my God. I would be so happy. I would be so happy with a vaccine. And by the way, just the other big uh, Irish news. Well, the big Irish news is normal people being on the TV, and I fucking got to get a VPN and watch that shit because everybody's talking about it, and I haven't seen it. I think I read the book, actually. Maybe I should read the book. That'll be. I think I'm giving myself some homework for the weekend. I'm going to read the book. Normal People by Sally Rooney. Um, I think I have that name right. I hope so. I'm going to read the book. Maybe talk about that next week. Um, but I believe there's been some controversy on Liveline over 17-year-olds having sex on the telly. Oh, my God, lads. Oh, my God. We can't show what's happening in real life. We have to pretend like we always did. And what great success we had trying to pretend that fucking young people don't get horny. Jesus Christ, it was so successful over the years trying to pretend that sex wasn't a thing because some fucking celibate priests fucking added, were uncomfortable with it. Anyway... I should have listened to Liveline. I could have listened to Liveline. That's what I should have done. Fuck. Oh, I wish I was more organized, man. I got to get more organized with my podcasts. I should have listened to Liveline yesterday because apparently it was it was hopping with the people uncomfortable with the dirty sex on the telly. Newsflash, Ireland. Teenagers are fucking each other. Yeah, And because they're more and more aware of What's healthy and unhealthy, I'm sure a lot of them are fucking each other in a healthier way than they used to fuck each other back in the day when it was considered a deep, dark secret. So just fucking deal with it. Anyway, I'll talk about that next week too. Actually, I'll get Steven on that. Get get a little normal, get up to date on normal people. I'll have a little chat with Steve about that. Irish update, you know. Um, thanks for your feedback uh, on an uh, episode from two days ago. Uh, that was great. Uh, you know, we did talk about Joe Biden and he has come out with a statement in the meantime. And I'll let you guys look into all that. I was going to talk about it, but the more I Googled, I made a mistake. I should have just responded, but I Googled. And then you Google and it's a fucking quagmire, man. So I'll let everybody have their own personal opinions on that. I'm not getting, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to put myself out there, man. It's just too, it's so complicated, you know, all that stuff. So have, have a Google and uh, arguments for and against uh, turning this into an issue that uh, I'll leave that up to you guys. That's a cop-out from me. I straight up, hands up, admit that's a cop-out from me. Um, the other big news I've noticed in Ireland, which is driving me insane, is this uh, Gemma Doherty, John Waters court case, basically talking about the human rights of the lockdown. And, and you know what's so... Un- I'm embarrassed to admit this, guys, but I'm going to admit it. Gemma Darty had released this uh, documentary about an unsolved murder in Donegal, which was, you know, it was it was pretty interesting. This is before I knew, um, this is before I knew what was going on in her mind, and I'm not going to make any accusations, but I would, I would, it would seem to me that there's more going on with Gemma O'Darty than just her anger at society. Uh, so. Actually, I'm saying Gemma O'Darty. It's Gemma Darty, right? Let me just get that right before I get accused of making too many mistakes because I don't have a producer, so I gotta uh I gotta fact check myself here and I don't wanna I don't wanna I don't wanna make any mistakes. She's she's no longer trending. She had been. 
but uh, I'll I'll just I'll just do a quick I'll just do a quick check because I don't want to be making mistakes here. It's Gemma O'Doherty. Okay, so uh, back when she made this documentary about this unsolved murder with Daniel O'Donnell's sister as her kind of like you know one of her big guests on it, she uh, it was pretty convincing, I have to say. And I, I, I don't want to make any accusations for or against, but I mean, certainly afterwards, a lot of the people that are on it said that they were misrepresented. That's the only thing I can say factually. But needless to say, I, I, I actually got a little sucked in by it, just in that it was an interesting watch. And I think I tweeted at the time. And now you got to put this into context. Nobody knew that Gemma O'Darty was was a bit fucking... Um, Let's just say uh, I, I didn't realize at the time that my views were as unaligned with Gemma O'Darty's views as they are, okay? Just, you know, because I, I don't want any lawsuits. <clears throat> so I'll just state the facts, which are my views and Gemma O'Darty's views are very unaligned. Uh, at the time, I had no idea. In fact, I only knew one other thing about Gemma O'Darty, and that was that she had a problem with Dennis O'Brien, which meant that I had some sympathy with her concerns about uh, the ownership of the Irish media being in too few people's hands. That being said, I tweeted at the time, is this the Irish making a murderer? And that was it, you know? Uh, later on, I I quickly found that uh, Gemma O'Darty was uh, not somebody that I wanted to be associated with in any way, shape, or form. Not to imagine, not to mention uh, that I, most of her political beliefs disgust me. But none of that was apparent at the time. And in the in the following years, since then. Uh, what I, I would consider her behavior to be despicable. Disgusting, actually. And uh, in recent times, it's been very apparent uh, with this nonsensical court case that she's taken with John Waters. Funnily enough, John Waters, another guy who I, I, I used to appreciate at times his writing, and it, to me has just... I, I don't understand what happened to him, but I, I, I just don't get it. You know, this exaggeration of you know the the rights and you know his his stand about his parking ticket going to jail i just i just don't get it i mean honestly there's a narcissism with this i think you know there's a self obsession that gets out of control and somehow you feel like your arguments against the state your exact these the exaggerated uh the way you exaggerate the way the state is working against you and managed to get a, a group of similarly sort of angry supporters around you, tie it into immigration and a sense of the Irish people are being shafted and all these different things. They they just kind of they just gather up a you know a nice little basket of grievances, try to put them together as if they're all connected. And next thing you know, you got a big conspiracy theorist organization, sort of slightly anti-vax, anti-state, anti-government, anti-immigration. And then on top of it, you try to make it seem like the lockdown is a conspiracy against the Irish people 
and that gives you the right in Gemma O'Darty's case to abuse Gardy, and it's just horrible watching those videos. And I shouldn't even watch them, but it's just disgusting. And I think you're allowed to have an opinion when I say, Jim O'Darty, shut the fuck up. You're disgusting. And to gather these supporters together in the middle of a pandemic while people are trying to save lives, it's disgusting. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Horrible. Why you think that somehow you've uncovered this great conspiracy against the Irish people. It's awful. I've seen the videos that you've done. It's disgusting. And even if you have a problem with immigration, the way that you doorstep people and try to turn it into a conspiracy that isn't there, it's, it's, it's horrific. I mean, if you were still a journalist, you would know that this is the lowest form of journalism. Horrific. So please stop. And I'm sure a lot of you are just like, can't be bothered looking at these trends on Twitter. You know, I just Twitter is just, I don't think Twitter has its finger on the pulse of what really matters, but it certainly popped up in my Twitter feed and uh, I watched it and it made my blood boil for a while, but I think you just have to ignore it. The problem is that she, you know, that the, her and John Waters are, are, you know, they're taking up resources of the state by bringing these things to court and wasting guard of time. I mean, it's it's just horrific. And I don't want to say what's driving it, but, you know, I think all aspects should be examined, including the mental health of people who exaggerate the uh, exaggerate conspiracy theories. I'm not saying anyone in particular. I'm just saying that uh, I think sometimes there could be elements of paranoid delusions involved in certain peoples. I'm not suggesting. Uh, Gemma O'Darty or John Waters are having paranoid delusions. But uh, in, in the broader world of conspiracy theories, I do sometimes feel that there may be elements of mental health issues driving the paranoia. Certainly not Gemma O'Darty or John Waters. Just if I could speak more broadly about conspiracy theorists. Uh sometimes and and i and i think those 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 should be looked at um anyway uh i also uh 
want to talk uh, I also um want to talk a bit more about a broader discussion people are having about opening up my my fears for the autumn grow by the day despite uh despite seeing Sweden getting on just uh just dandy with a limited lockdown but I do worry about my autumn tour this is not to be taken as a definitive statement on what's going to happen cuz there's just it's just impossible to know what's happening. In fact, I have shows in mid-May in Phoenix, Arizona, and they haven't been canceled yet. So who the hell knows what's going on? And even if venues decide that shows are going on, will people go? But all that is uh, all that is is playing on my mind. There's a lot of things playing on my mind, actually, which is, uh, it, it, funnily enough, something that that came up this morning i was watching the news because you know i get up at 6 a.m it's only it's only 8 30 it's only half eight here in new york but you know the cure is worse than the disease conversation has been going on heavily on on fox news uh, and people were asking the question this morning actually not on fox news i think it was on cnn it doesn't matter but they were asking the question what number is what is the number of death that people find acceptable you know for going back to normalcy which is kind of like a it's it's i've touched on it myself on this podcast but it is a it is a difficult question cuz essentially if you're protesting about ending the lockdown you're you're basically saying that there's a certain amount of death that we're happy with, and and I understand that that's why a lot of the people who are saying that the lockdown was an overreaction, I, that's why it's easy for them to lean on comparisons with the flu, because obviously we accept that the flu kills certain amounts of people, um, and. So people are trying to sort of frame it in that context, which, which you know, I, I, I mean, it's understandable if, if, it, if it held up, but doesn't, doesn't really, um, you know, it doesn't really hold up, uh, you know. And a lot of people use like, they try to use like the worst flu season numbers to compare to this pandemic. Uh, and I, I'm pretty sure that 50 or 60,000 is as bad as the flu ever was. Uh, in the United States. I'm pretty sure that is essentially the worst flu season other than the Spanish flu um, uh, that would have been through, I mean, I'm assuming two flu, you know, I, I, I'm assuming you get you get the sort of the, the, the winter and autumn flu season in, uh, in, in a one year. And now he, did, I, I, am, I am very willing, hands up right now, to be corrected on this. But I'm assuming that right now we've, in America, I'll just talk in the United States, uh, at, at you know close to sixty-three thousand deaths um, since the the first reported cases in February. But really, let's just assume that it's been in, in the United States in January. So January to nearly May, there's been sixty-three thousand deaths, and 
included in those 63,000 deaths is nearly two months of social distancing plus uh, and a lockdown in most places. Plus, for a lot of February, there was a real push about washing hands and, and you know, there was there was a push about being aware of it. So, you know, in every flu season, they talk a little bit about that, but nothing like we were talking about in relation to the coronavirus pandemic. So there's just no way in the world that you can compare this to the flu, really. But at the same time, I do take the point that we do accept a certain amount of death in relation to the flu. Uh, so I guess on some level, it's not completely cold to say we are going to have to accept some level of death for the coronavirus to be able to get back to, you know, to be able to get society back up and running. Which, I mean, I do believe that that is the case. But I, I, I think that that's a more responsible discussion to have when you have things a lot more under control. I mean, the, you know, people, people have been trying to do that in the, really in the middle of like a, the peak of the outbreak, you know? And I, I do think sort of midsummer, as it appears that possibly we will have things a bit more under control, maybe we can, we can start to have that discussion. I personally feel that they've had that discussion a little early because right now in the United States, there's still well over 2,000 deaths a day related to coronavirus. And it's just so interesting to compare the amount of death that they're having in Ireland and how serious the lockdown still is and that sense of the majority of society minus the the Gemma O'Darties of this world. Uh, the, the majority of society seems to be accepting it as a necessary sacrifice for the better of society, which in many ways, goes to show uh, the difference in uh, you know a sense of collective responsibility, although it's not a fair comparison, is it? Because America is so huge that there's, there's so many different cultures within the collective of the United States of America. And there's definitely, obviously, more divided political views, but some of it is, is understandable because how can somebody who grew up in North Dakota have the same worldview as somebody who grew up in Flushing, Queens. I mean, it's completely understandable that we would have entirely different ways of, of, of looking at this. So th- th- it's understandable that there wouldn't be the same unity across the nation. And, and not to mention what I perceive the United States to be and what somebody in Wyoming perceives the United States to be are, are very different. And, and, and it's, it's totally understandable, you know? Um, so I, I, I'm not really critical of the fact that America is not as united, except that I am critical of how ununited it is and, and, and the, div, the division, which obviously stoked by Trump and stoked by an increasingly, increasingly divisive politics over the last 20 years, you know, as, as it kind of became beneficial, the, you know, the divisiveness has become beneficial to certain politicians and people have just consistently played more and more to their base, which I'm sure there will be research papers for decades on what drove that divisiveness. You know, the internet uh, being probably numero uno, I, w- I would think, you know, or possibly even just a, just a, a further division from 
or sorry, a further distance from World War II. Like I often think that, you know, the West as as the 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 relative peace, relative peace of Western democracies, including uh, Australia, I guess, uh, and New Zealand, that they they sort of live under the uh, the 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 infrastructure that was laid. The diplomatic infrastructure that was laid post World War II, when we realized that when you allow nationalism to rise to uh, to a dangerous point, that uh, things can be a real problem. So uh, a sense of cooperation and togetherness has been fostered since then. Now I know that there's a it's a complicated discussion, right? Because obviously there's loads of hypocrisy uh, in relation to that in terms of how said Western de- democracies, particularly the United States, have interfered in other countries trying to find their way in a way that more often than not has not been beneficial to their development, um, from Vietnam to Iraq and, you know, all these things. I, I get it. This is, not, this, is, this is not a perfect discussion. But I do think that one of the, as well as the internet and, and the fact that people have been able to live within their echo chambers, I do think that we're probably a generation too far from World War II for people to completely uh, understand why international cooperation is important. I also think that the failure of globalization to reform quickly enough to make sure that the, the benefits of, uh, you know, an international, the benefits of free and open international trade trickle down to everybody. The failure to to make sure that that happened also caused people to distrust um, a sense of, of global cooperation, um, which which is which has been a major flaw. Sadly for me, I, I always feel that the the sort of the knee jerk sort of move away from that completely will, will cause as many problems as the lack of reform uh, up to now. But anyway, that that's that's the way that's the way things are. People do get reactionary, and then the 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 mob and the herd starts to move in one direction, and then eventually politicians just have no choice but to run with the herd, and that that is a that is how it's always been. <laughs> that is why that is why war exists and famine exists and all these things. It's very difficult. Humans are very odd in in, in their behavior, particularly their collective behavior, but. Anyway, this is definitely not going to be an analysis of why the fuck we're so divided. It is just going to be, uh, if I could just bring myself back very quickly to looking at what is uh, what is an acceptable conversation about, you know, an acceptable number. I mean, in a way, I feel like with Sweden, it's, it's very funny watching these... Um, conservative Americans look at Sweden as an example because I like to look at Sweden as an example too of just how good it is to have a, a, a state with social socially democratic principles that give or take their right or left swings within their own government uh, and possibly a little bit of an immigration scandal uh, they they generally sort of have a sense of we are in this together and that we will invest a lot in in society so that all of us will have uh, at, at least a baseline life of comfort uh, and with with that sense of investing in society comes clearly if you watch a bit more of a of a unified um, 
a unified, you know, unified action against the coronavirus without a total lockdown. But I do think that they were lucky to not have an initially large break, you know, uh, initially large breakout, and they are still running at uh, 400% more deaths than their neighboring Scandinavian social democracies. So there has been a cost. The question is, is that cost worth it? And if, if say, the United States, or Ireland for that matter, got to a similar per capita death rate. Now, actually, in Ireland, I actually... I should Google it. I don't actually know what the Irish deaths are today, but I mean, I would I would argue that Ireland is probably in a similar situation to Sweden, and that I would think Ireland could probably go for a similar enough sort of like semi lockdown that Sweden's going for, except that the Irish health service is no way as well equipped as the Swedish health service, which comes from that sense of investing in society, and that is the big difference between. Sweden and a lot of other places is on top of this sense of trust of government that they have uh, a, a sense of, of, of community and healthiness as a result of the investment in the health service. All these things factor into them being able to do this. Uh, Ireland or the United States just doesn't have that health infrastructure to mitigate against if it all went wrong. And, and, and I assume that's partially why. Swedish people are confident that their experiment of not completely locking down is worth taking because they have the health infrastructure to cover when it goes terribly wrong. I mean, it hasn't gone great. They still have had a reasonably high amount of death related to other countries, but at the same time, it hasn't been a total tragedy. Now, of course, there are personal tragedies in that the people who have lost somebody are probably thinking, had we had more of a lockdown, these people wouldn't be dead, and that is understandable. That is the conundrum of our time. And it's a, it's a huge conundrum. It really is. You know, and obviously the, the, I was watching their epidemiologist doing an interview and he, he was saying that we have had a higher death, but we are going to have a higher rate of people who have had it and that we will be closer to herd immunity, which is funny because that's what Boris Johnson had been saying early on. But um, the, the difference is, it got out of control in the UK. So the whole thing was that there was no perfect solution. And I really often, I really do think that some places just got lucky, you know? And I think Sweden, in a, in a way, got lucky between their sort of half lockdown, or I guess maybe they went for like a quarter lockdown, and they haven't had a, a massive outbreak. I think a little bit of that is luck. And I think a little bit of that is related to the things that I was talking about before in terms of how their society is structured. But I just love how these uh, these fucking right-wing libertarians are talking about Sweden, which is the antithesis of what they believe in. Because it's big government and society investing in it versus what they want, which is essentially anarchy, which is obvious from the fact that if you look at these Michigan protests yesterday, I mean, how frightening is it to watch what literally i know i keep talking about the walking dead but i just more and more i'm just so shocked at how wrong i was about the walking dead because the walking dead i always would say this is just nonsense like as if we would just end up if society broke down we would just end up with these militias and actually the most violent militias rising to the top you know like as if society 
would just slowly go into this kind of warlike feudalism. Um, and how wrong was I? Because literally it looks like a scene out of The Walking Dead. Two guys with rifles, with beards and bald heads, standing beside another bearded man, shouting and roaring. You know, like it literally, I mean, it, it actually, it, it might as well just be Negan's guys. But the, the point is that these people, whatever about the nonsense of the fact that it's illegal to bring a gun inside the, the, the state government building in Michigan, but it's not legal to bring in signs. So there's all these signs basically sort of suggesting, I think, lynching the governor, but whatever, we won't get into that. There's all these horrible signs outside, but then there's no signs inside, but there are people with guns inside the building shouting and roaring. I mean, it is like, it's crazy. And the funny thing is that these Trump people always like to talk about the fact that the Mueller investigation was a coup, was a coup. But like, this looks like a coup. This is what a coup looks like. A bunch of people in, with guns inside government buildings. That's actually what a coup looks like. Um, so it, it's quite frightening. And, and, and it's even worse that then those images go around the world and it just shows, because in reality, this is just a small fringe group of protesters. It's not, it's not even that big of a story. You know, they don't represent society. The problem is the images go around the world and then people say, what the fuck is going on in America that these, these lunatics... Uh, are, are you know, can be gun-toting, complaining about a, a lockdown, you know, which is, you know, essentially just international best practice for dealing with a pandemic. You know, it's not like they're, you know, it, 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 they're protesting against something that's quite commonplace all over the world. But because, you know, and, and partially I think because Trump has has gone hard against Governor Whitmer, they feel... You know, they, they, they feel like it's their right to do this. You know, that's why so much of this leadership has been irresponsible. But this isn't going to be Trump bashing because we've just done so much of that. And he stopped doing his press conferences. So it's harder to just keep going at him. And I, I do think that the majority of rational people have had enough of Trump. I'm not saying he's going to lose, but I do think that a certain amount of sanity has returned to even the people who possibly voted for Trump the last time that this guy is not equipped to deal with the things that a, that a leader uh, would need to deal with. We'll see. Anyway, that's the end of today's episode. I'll go back to looking after my snoring dog. And I'll go back to trying to understand these issues more and more. Uh, I hope you guys are having a good day. And uh, as soon as I know, if there's any problems with the autumn tour, of course, I'll be letting you know. If you, if you happen to be listening in Phoenix, Arizona, I'll let you know ASAP if I'm actually doing those shows. Or in mid-June in Minneapolis, um, which is, I don't, I don't know if that, how that could happen, but we'll see. Um, message me on Instagram, at DesBishop, Twitter, at DesBishop, Facebook.com forward slash DesBishop, TikTok, DesBishop5. Leave a comment. Uh, on iTunes give us five stars on iTunes subscribe if you haven't subscribed take a screenshot on your Spotify or on the Acast app or on Stitcher no video of this one I didn't I didn't film this um, and uh, we'll be back Sunday with what I don't know but I'll get an episode up on Sunday so I guess that's how it's kind of playing out it's kind of like Tuesday like it's either Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, or sometimes Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday. You know, it's, but it's three a week. 
It's just the shift goes up on Monday. The, the shift has like a schedule, you know. The Des Bishop podcast was trying to get a schedule, and then the pandemic happened, and then I decided to do three a week. So it's three a week. The exact time that they go up is not solid. The shift goes up Monday night into Tuesday morning every week. The Des Bishop podcast is not as solid as that, but it's three a week. So I'll get uh, two days ago's episode up on YouTube today. If you're a YouTube watcher or you like to sort of relook at it, that'll be up today on YouTube. And uh, thanks, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.